I remember driving back from a gig Jake and I played in Peoria. And our monitor guy, Bob, was driving. This is last November. And put on the new tracks. We had a long drive. And I think it was the first time he heard this song. And after it, he made a comment that kind of stuck with me. He's like, that is the biggest I think I've heard you guys sound on a recording ever. And that kind of struck me like, okay, I've never really thought about it, but it's so basic and simple that everyone has their spot and their lane and stays in it that it allows each track, each person, each musician to occupy a bigger space because there's so little going on. And now when I listen to it, I I think about it and we're actually allowing ourselves to sit back and breathe and it's okay. It went from one of my bottom 14 to one of my top five just because of what it came back as. When it was initially shown, what I showed them was not good enough, right? But what what was given back, it's so much better, no pun intended. There's so much left unknown. There's so much left undone. There's so much left unknown. There's so much left undone. Welcome back to Talking Circles, a podcast about Umphreys McGee's 2022 album, Asking for a Friend. In this episode, we're focusing on the third single from the record, So Much, a song created on an uneventful night nearly 15 years ago. It's been an eternal placeholder for Brendan Bayless, finally finding its home on Asking for a Friend. Whereas our previous two episodes focused on songs written mostly in 2020, so much emerged from stagnation and procrastination in the late 2000s. While it's been tested on nearly every record the band has produced since, its simplicity and eternal message of one step forward, two steps back resonated with the band as they gathered in September 2020 to begin laying down tracks for the record. So much was an old song, kind of half-song idea from a long time ago. So I'm thinking this is 2008, 2009. Uh, My wife was working Coachella that weekend, and she sent me a picture of her and David Hasselhoff. My name is Brendan Bayless. I sing and play guitar for Umphreys McGee. I am the diva. So she's out of town. I have a better part of, I don't know, a week and a half, which never happens um, alone. And in my mind, I have so much time to get so much work done. In my mind, I'm going to write 15 songs. I'm going to exercise 20 times a day, and I'm just going to be awesome. And none of that really happened. I didn't get a whole lot accomplished. So a good friend of mine, Dave Thompson came up from South Bend so Dave comes up and I tell him I have visions of grandeur if I'm going to write all these great songs uh, while Annie's out of town get 
all this stuff accomplished. So he comes up and he's, he's you know, he throws it. We're playing guitars, sitting around singing Closer to Fine or Kid Fears or some Indigo Girls hit. And he's like, you know, why don't we try and write a song? You know, you and I have been playing music for a long time. Let's, let's see if we can do it. So we kind of sat down to start and he, he had written down one line, something about my left foot forward instead of best foot forward, which I thought was cool. Turn my foot, face me forward. So we literally wrote the one line down and then got a phone call from a friend who was at Raven's. And Raven's is a bar on Clark and Fullerton, basically, in Chicago. Basically, it's across the street from my house. He's at Raven's. So this important work we're trying to get done, you know, we got to get to Raven's now because it's going to close you know, at four. So we go there and get pretty drunk, come home and too kind of loose to really write music. So we decide to try anyway. So we wrote a V8 commercial, a jingle for V8 juice, which is fantastic. Every morning I wake up, I drink my beer. Every morning I wake up, I drink my beer and I love. Every morning I wake up, I drink my beer and I love. Every morning I wake up, I drink my beer and I So Dave leaves. I'm now home. It's been almost a week and I have nothing accomplished. And I'm starting to panic. So I start to try and write this song. I have a really terrible drum loop, which is how I do things. In the process of recording the idea, the middle part, I ended up doing too long. So typically things are in groups of two or four, and in the middle, I, I don't know what it is. But I realize quickly as I'm writing it that I, I have to make this verse longer because I messed up and I'm too lazy to go back and just redo it the right way. And through that problem, that mistake of having too much time or an extra verse, I ended up coming up with the idea of the wordplay on numbers, one more drink will always turn into two more and three times repeating I told you which would be me telling myself you knew this was going to happen one more will always turn into three times repeating I told you four reasons no one understands one for each finger on your hand three days go by without a move so still my choice is one of two and that whole verse is a play on words and numbers, which I've never done before or since. And I, I somehow, every time I hear it, I get really proud of that moment. And the, lyrically, it was finished very quickly. 
because I knew what I was talking about. I had a clear image in my mind, or at least in my gut. I knew this is a, I was talking to myself about feeling guilty, about, you know, you're a piece of shit, get off the couch, go do something. You have this wonderful opportunity, don't squander it. And so lyrically, it was finished, I want to say, in 20 minutes. The whole thing. It, it's one of the very rare... I mean, it's super easy, super simple. I mean, it's it shouldn't take that long for something like this. But this is one of the rare songs that when I sat down to actually do it, it was finished. Having written so much in a burst of disgruntled creativity, the song sat on the shelf for over a decade. Perhaps too simplistic to be showcased against their best work, the song was auditioned during a number of recording sessions. But even Bayless himself didn't fully realize the song's potential until years later. I've always been a fan of three chords and the truth. I don't know why. I don't know why I gravitate towards it. I still do to this day. Being in a, a band like Humphreys McGee, it's hard to write something super basic and see it actually materialize. And that's just a function of everybody's so good that it's hard to just not do more. You know, I think one of one critique we've we've gotten, you know, throughout the years is playing too much and being too busy. But it's also hard to practice this much to get this good and this proficient and then get there and be like, I wanna hold back. I could do this, but it's better for me not to. Because you it's you train your muscles to do all these things that, you know, can only be done with great dexterity if you put in the time and then to get to the stage and then have the mental wherewithal to say okay all this awesome stuff don't do it a song like this it is so basic and it needs so much added to it to make it work i know that when joel came up with his once that line came in it now became this theme to a song that was essentially didn't have a you know a whole lot going on so now it has this melody which you can't you can't unhear it and Joel somehow was able to eight notes so I think he did it Close to my goal, I have not reached yet. But now when you listen to the song, it's almost as if the is the centerpiece of it, that it all kind of rotates around. And then it becomes the call and response where Jake is playing it as a counterpoint. You know, I spoke with Jake briefly about, you know, doing a solo. In the in the demo, there's a piano solo, and I I can't really play piano, so you can hear there's like five notes. And I do one little trill, and that's about all I got.
Jake, I remember saying, you know, he was going to do something that was kind of like finger picky, kind of shimmery, shiny, like here comes the sun. Um, like a, that kind of vibe. And he didn't, th- he was, he, he said, I don't think that this ne- needs a guitar solo here. It doesn't feel like it fits the song. Which I was, I said, okay, well, you know, we'll figure something out. I'm, you, you send me some idea. He basically layered a bunch of stuff. Joel had a bunch of stuff going on. And there's one point in the solo section, which is a non-solo now. I don't know where it is in the stamp, but it's around the, the turnaround. And there's a guitar line. It's very simple. It almost sounds like a horn line. And it's, it, it could have been an Ebo. I, I'm not sure. I'll have to ask Jake. But there's that one, and it's like two notes, and it sounds to me like the sound of a sunrise, which I, I could never verbalize that to him and say, hey, make this part sound like the sun's coming up. But it sounds perfect, and I think had I tried to influence any of that, it wouldn't have come out that way. What began in isolated rebellion over a decade prior, cast aside from more ambitious material over the following years, emerged as a full band composition during their September 2020 recording sessions. As we showcased in the first two episodes of Talking Circles, what makes Umphreys McGee so enduring at this point in their career is the shared connection between band members during the creative process and the trust extends no matter the origins of a song. I'm still kind of surprised we pulled it off, but we were able to do it pretty quickly and easily. It was all recorded at Boondock and Jake's studio. I think everyone knows how good Chris Myers is as a live drummer. In the studio, he is as good, if not better. He is able to take any any song or you know passage and he nails it the first or second time and a song like this we had already done two or three during the day we had a stream at night so i know that we were trying to save some energy and mentally couldn't afford to get into a a complicated track so when this came up to as a suggestion to do it I think we started recording it and maybe within 20 minutes, 18 minutes, we had got it. So the first take, Chris basically nails the whole thing in one pass. I do think he was texting halfway through. After doing this for as long as we've been doing it, I've seen many, many examples now over 20-something years of how this has panned out in the right way, where maybe in the beginning it was harder to, I guess, see that it would work out because you're always kind of afraid when you show an idea, A, will they like it, or B, will it get completely so far taken away that 
it's something that is just, it just doesn't work anymore. But now going into, I don't know how many studio albums we've done, I have so much faith in these guys now that I hope that the feeling is, is mutual where they know that I'm not going to just phone something in. Here's my spot. I've got to come up with something. Here's my first idea. I'm just going to record that and I want to get on with my day. We all kind of take enough pride in the big picture of it all that everyone realizes that whatever's going to serve the song is the right call. And sometimes that might even be not doing anything. And we've had studio tracks where I'm not even playing anything or I just play a little bit because I, when I listen back and everything's finished, I, I realize that what I have to add would almost take away. So I, I'm now at the point after so long that I have no doubt that whatever I bring to the table will only be much better. It won't be a little better. It will be significantly better. Maybe this song just kind of resonated with everybody in the group at this point. When I came up with the initial idea of self-loathing and whatever, I'm singing to myself and shame on me for being a, a lush. I don't know, maybe enough time passed that other people can feel similar or know somebody who's going through something similar or maybe that it just the inexplicable intangible aha light went off and maybe they just heard it and it just kind of clicked that day a song written about the stress of needing to accomplish something let alone writing a song it's proof of the indefinable nature of creativity and the magic of the moment when an idea comes together what came together in a blitz of writing some 15 years prior repeated itself on the afternoon of the song's recording session. Only here, it was the conclusion of the song that seemed to fall out of the sky for the band. Something else about this song is the demo, after hearing it for so long, it always had a fade at the end. And I always thought it was a good driving song. I don't know, for me, if, if it's a good driving song, that means it's a good thing, it's a good quality. And I always thought that this would be a good driving song because it had a long, slow studio fade out into the highway. And then when we recorded it, uh, there's no vocals as we're recording it. So everyone's kind of just looking and I'm shaking my head no and I'm yes now. And then what, by the time we got to the studio fade, I think everyone had been so... You lose track of time, right? And if you did, there's no lyrics to refer to in the studio, you kind of lose your place. I think Chris just did a... And ended. I was kind of like, ooh, okay. I didn't know how we were going to end it. I didn't know the song had an ending. And it just kind of... That's, that's it now. There was one night in 2017, we were at the State Theater in Portland, Maine, and we were doing an all-improv set with Joshua Redman, who is a master of the saxophone. Dude is amazing. And, you know, you're trying to keep up with, you know, this amazing, virtuosic player who can do anything. 
after a while, I started to think to myself, maybe I should just start singing something because at least that way I could buy some time <laughs> to, to try and keep up with this guy. So I'm going through my Rolodex, trying to think of a melody, trying to think of anything, and I started thinking of so much. And for the most part, I think I had it memorized, and I just started singing it over this jam that we were doing. And, uh, you know, I don't know if some people thought that I had just made it up on the spot or what, but I, I'd have to listen back. I think I had most of the lyrics mem memorized, but that was uh, probably the first time it ever made a kind of appearance on uh, Humphrey's stage. We do have a few songs that have come from improvs completely out of nowhere. Um, parts of songs or verses or chorus or uh, example would be in the kitchen. We were playing one night and I just started singing. I, I visualized my kitchen. I lived on Addison and Racine at the time and the heat was a joke. So I literally was just th thinking about how cold it was in my kitchen and started improving the, the melody and that be, became the basis of the song. We have a song called Bridgeless, and the verse progression, which is just three chords. But that came from a jam that was on Jam Cruise one night. With, I think we were in a small room, and it was the last night, and everyone was tired. And sometimes that's where some, some of the best improv comes, because people are... There's no nerves. Every, everyone's nerves are shot, so it's just kind of loose. And... Uh, that became the verse of Bridgeless. When those things happen, I'm instantly aware. Uh, I don't know if a light bulb kind of thing goes off, but whenever those moments happen, I'm instantly already putting it down in my mind as this is a future idea to revisit because, I don't know, it just resonates instantly. And I love it when that happens. It's like uh, free songs. Much like its lyrical origins, its first live appearance and the conclusion of the song, the 
title, So Much, was as much an accident as it was the perfect fit for the track. Initially, when uh, the song was put together, I remember writing the lyrics so much and thinking mentally that I was going to come back and fix that and make it better. And I always, in my mind, thought, you can do better, you can do better. And then when it came time to finally, okay, we're recording today, in 12 minutes, you are going to finish this. And then I remember thinking, man, I've had so much time to fix this, so much time, <laughs> that I'd, I don't have anything. So I think we're going to leave it. So the placeholder becomes now the title of the song. Now I'm happy with it because it's too late to change it. <laughs> the chorus is, there's so much left I know, there's so much left undone. And it means the same thing to me now that it meant the, the day I wrote it down. And it's me talking to myself. And there's so much work to be done. I know, I know. When you sit down to start a band and write songs, you have these visions of grandeur that you're going to come up with all this great stuff. And then years go by and you kind of look back and that's kind of what this is. It's like starting the, a period of, okay, I made it here. Am I worthy of it? I don't want to lose this. I got to get some stuff done to maintain or even grow it. To this day, I think the same way I still am full of that same doubt and it's still full of that insecurity and it never goes away so when I listen to it and read it it's it's exactly the same sentiment had I had I done this last week or next week there's so much left unknown there's so much left undone I will always, in the back of my mind, think I could have done better. But I guess technically, I'm writing a song about not getting anything done and not being productive. And that's what it, the whole thing to me is about. Ironically enough, I did accomplish something and get something done. So it's counterintuitive, but... If nothing else, so much is proof that creativity and inspiration can come from anywhere. In this case, a much younger Brendan Bayliss was experiencing the same feelings so many of us do when transitioning from the halcyon days of our youth into adulthood. In your mind, you know you have work to do, but in your heart, you know you won't be able to blow off steam and have inconsequential fun with your buddies on a random night much longer. You delay the work, but you feel guilty for doing so. Transitioning this sentiment into song may have seemed fruitless at the time. But as the years passed, it resonated more and more with Bayless and his bandmates, resulting in a breakthrough song on their new album. Combining the open vistas of Heartland Americana rock with the technical prowess of Umphreys McGee's prog rock roots, it's a soundscape of emotional weight that should be celebrated at this point in their career. Where it goes from here, however, is anyone's guess. Maybe this is one of those songs that you don't have to play live, and that's okay. You know, we are a live band. We make a living playing live and selling tickets. But maybe it's okay to write a few things that we're never going to play. And maybe we do play it. And I'm okay. I, honestly, I'm okay with it either way. 
I hope that when people hear it for the first time, that they actually want to listen to it again right away. You know, when you get an album, you want to listen to the whole thing beginning to end. But after that, I hope that this is a song that people revisit because for me, it's kind of this, it's hard to verbalize, but it's this internal, emotionally warming feeling that this song gives me. In a weird way, it's comforting. It's like comfort food, like a bowl of chicken soup or something. But I feel as if this could be something where just people can all relate to that feeling. And maybe this is the song that it's okay to to calm down and sit and listen. There's so much left I know. There's so much left undone. Wherever the song ends up, it will be the right place for it. Any song which emerges from the doldrums of the creative process before sitting on the shelf for 15 years, only to be fully realized in two to three takes during a pandemic recording session, is a reward for a band that prides itself on years of challenging themselves and pushing beyond the simple concept of a song. A song like this, you know, it's in a group like this, it's, it's rare. As we get older, it's easier to embrace good when it's regardless of complexity. You know, when we were young, we felt like we had a lot to prove. This never would have happened in 2000, 2002, 2005, never. You know, I wouldn't have ever, no, you know. I would have been embarrassed. I wouldn't have shown it. It's too simple. But I guess over time, you know, I keep coming back to Neil Young. I keep, I still put on Harvest and I still love it. So I'm still attracted to writing stuff like that because that's what I listen to. There's so much left I know There's so much left undone There's so much left I know There's so much left On the next episode of Talking Circles, we'll dive into the next single from Asking for a Friend. We'll see you then. Talking Circles is a production of Osiris Media and Humphreys McGee. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Written and produced by Brian Brinkman, RJB, and Kevin Browning. All interviews and audio used with permission from Humphreys McGee. Osiris.